I'm your host, Liana, and you are listening to the Butterfly Effect Podcast, where each week, me and the occasional guest will have some authentic conversations about a variety of life topics, so we got a little bit of something for everybody here. Thank you so much for supporting me and tuning in, and without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Hello, what is up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Butterfly Effect podcast. I have a guest here today. She's actually coming in from Minnesota. We are doing this bad boy virtually. It is Jenny making another appearance. (laughs) This is the first time I've done anything virtually. We're using a platform called Squadcast. This is not sponsored. I'm just putting y'all on if anyone is trying to do a podcast. (laughs) I don't hold withhold information. Um, So just to start, Jenny, how was your day? It's been a good day. I haven't worked this week, so I've had time to do whatever whatever I'm looking to do. To be fair, I didn't I haven't really been working either. I'm supposed to be. I just have not. Like I'll come in, I'll take the calls when they come in, I'll take the chats when they come in, but we're like super not we're not busy at all. So we don't have any tickets and like to get tickets you have to like fight agents to get be the first one on it. I'm not- <laughs> you like go for it you take it I will I'll sit here I'll find my I'll be busy I would I've been redecorating my apartment um I just redid my office space I flipped stuff around I say office because it's literally a studio so everything is in in the same room um but yeah I'm really excited about it I'm trying to go into the new year with like fresh everything I feel you that's exactly what I'm doing this morning I started off with a workout then I went and got a massage um, then I came back here. We've been reorganizing the apartment as well. Um, then I went to a drumming class. <laughs> I went to a drumming class, and then now I'm back. So drumming was super fun. Yeah. Um, I actually took world drumming in college. I got oh, yeah. uh, drum circle facilitator certified, actually, fun fact. But um, I like drumming, and it's very – there's a lot of research that talks about the therapeutic aspects of group drumming. That's why I got involved in Pound, and so it was fun to just go do a drumming class. That's awesome. I feel like with the new year coming up, everyone always gets this big motivation to you know make changes to make the next year even better. In order to approach a new year, and I look at it as a new chapter in my life, like a new set of experiences and lessons that I get to learn, but in order to fully – take advantage of all those lessons and experiences, I have to know who I am. I've been really reflecting on who I am as a person and what my identity is. And um, I thought it would be a really cool topic to talk about specifically with you because you have a really extensive psychology background that you can bring a nice piece to. Um, I don't know if you've touched too much on that, but I think you have enough knowledge to be able to give some um, commentary on that. Is what is your earliest or your like your first memory, your earliest memory of identity, and when you when that concept came into question on who you are? Oh, that's a really tough question because I she didn't tell me the questions ahead of time, folks. I'm thinking on the fly. <laughs> um, Got her. <laughs> I mean, probably sometime like junior high-ish which makes sense like cognitively when people start reflecting on their identities we know from like developmental psychology that that's around the age anytime between 11 12 13 14 is when we kind of start Mm. thinking about identity and it becomes really really salient or focused as we kind of get into our upper adolescence and our early adulthood that tends to be one of the biggest focuses 
Um, but if I have to think about um, identity, I have one, like I'm thinking of something and I can't think of something from before it. Um, well, I had a, that's not true. So one that's coming to mind is I was a patrol captain when I was in mm, Like a you know, patrol, like, ca- like, like the safety guards? Yeah. A crossing guard. I was always so oh. jealous of those people. I always wanted to do that, but I li- never lived close enough to school. And I, right. my mom isn't going to pick me up after school just so I could let some cars cross. Are you kidding me? Right. So I, you know, I lived right by both the elementary school and the junior high. And so um, I did cap, I did patrol my in fifth grade and then in sixth grade like there were six captains and so you had like your own team and I actually went to patrol captain camp is actually a thing so me oh, and like, shut your woman, mouth I'm so serious <laughs> me and this other I guess not woman she's a woman now girl um a girl and a, she and I went to patrol captain camp together it was like a week long um and we like talked about safety but it also you know just had like camp things like fun like cabins and movies and what I, and See, I think now I'm even more jealous I think that's probably <laughs> one of my first memories of like thinking about who I was because I was like oh I'm a patrol captain and so like mm. it's my responsibility to make sure that people are like if they need a sub like they could call me and we had this whole page of like everyone's home phone numbers because you know that was a thing then and <laughs> oh my gosh yeah because if you didn't time. show up because if you didn't show up then who was gonna have help these poor kids across the street safely Right. Wow. Exactly. It was a full do? job. That was your first job. That's, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. I think, I think. Yeah, what about you? I, I don't, I'm trying to think of my first memory. I remember my first, like, this is a separate thing, but so I went through a phase where I was a tomboy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I went through this phase because I don't even know if my cousin knows this. My cousin Haley, shout out to you. I know you're listening. Um, hi, Matt. Hi, Sophia. Um, so I know my my cousin Haley was this like the coolest person to me. Like I idolized her. She was so she is so nice. She's one of the nicest people I know. She went she was a tomboy. She was like she would only wear boy clothes. She was so cool and I just wanted to be just like her. So I went through this phase where I was a tomboy and I refused. Like one of the things I refused to wear a bra. Like way too like in my opinion, <laughs> I needed to put a bra on. Like my mom was telling me my like they had my aunts talking to me. I was like, "No, I'm a tomboy." I don't wear I don't know why. Anyways, my stepdad, he always picks on me when I, well, he still picks on me to this day, (laughs) but he would really pick on me when I was younger. And I just remember it. He'd call me pretty, pretty princess. And that would piss me off because I'm like, I'm a tomboy. And I was like, don't call me pretty, pretty princess. And I remember I was so mad about that. So like, that's one of my first memories I can think of when it comes to like me thinking about my identity. Right, right. Like when you, you are. Yeah. And like, I'm definitely not a tomboy now. I am so girly. I really just like went through a phase. It was a phase. I think you bring up a really good point with that, this whole um, tomboy, girly girl dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, I think, one of the first time, at least a, as a girl, a cisgendered girl growing up, that I kind of thought in those two, oh, you either are a tomboy or you are a girly girl. Mm-hmm. And then if we talk about the way that sexism works in this world, um, we're kind of taught that being a girly girl is somehow like weaker or not as yes. good. So Maybe growing up, yeah. growing up, a lot of girls went through this, I need to be a tomboy. Cause I definitely went through that where I was like, I won't wear pink. Like, don't call me that because mm-hmm. I think like that's part of that, that, that is an identity of like 
that's how we start thinking about identity is are you a tomboy or a girly girl? And you grow up and you realize like both of those things are bullshit and neither of those are like a thing. Yep. Like you can like to go right. get your nails done and like- What to, is like, a tomboy? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Like you can have such a varied like group of interests and like reflect on yourself that way. But I think it is a, it's an easier concept when you're a kid and your brain hasn't developed and you don't know how to think mm-hmm. about yourself. It's like, oh, my tomboy or girly girl, which one am I, you know? And that ties back to our last episode when we're talking about categories that we like to put ourselves in as humans. Um, That was definitely it. (laughs) I think like you kind of touched upon it earlier, the idea of your identity is it can change every single day. It can change every single minute if it wants to. But I mean, when you're growing up, like the idea of identity for me, now it's more personal for me. It's more who am I deep down inside, not who does society want me to be. I'm not trying to fit in anymore. When I was younger, I was. I was that's all I wanted to do. That was my main purpose in life was to be accepted. Growing up, like I identity has always been a really tough thing for me because there's so many ways you can look at it. It can be how you identify um in terms of your gender. Race has always been a huge one for me. Huge, Mm -hmm. huge, huge because I am mixed. My mom is white. My dad is black. He's Liberian. I'm half Liberian. And growing up, I felt like I always had to choose a side. But now that I'm older, first of all, I realize society only sees me as black. So it does, I don't even know why I was bad, <laughs> battling it this whole time. But um, like I always felt bad of checking a box like, am I black or white? Like when you always have to fill out those right. demographic questions. And I would click other and it just that other just feels wrong, too. Like, right. I don't know. Um, they've been getting better and it's more like two or more races now, which I, yeah. that makes me feel a little bit better, but I don't know that that has really been hard because growing up I was, so I was too black for the white kids, but I went to predominantly white schools. And then I, when I hung out around black people, which was very rare. So it was almost uncomfortable for me at first. Mm-hmm. I was too white for the black kids. Like right. they would always say that, like you're whitewashed. You can tell you go to a, a white school or you live in the suburbs. Like all these things constantly playing back in my head, even my white friends. Oh, you're the whitest black girl I've ever met. You you don't talk like a black girl. You don't act like a black girl. Like all these comments right. had such a huge impact on who I thought I was and then who right. I was trying to be and prove myself because then I was like, okay, well – I'm no, I don't fit in anywhere. Like I know I know where I actually fit in, not even at home. Like I'm going off on a tangent, but this is what You're these good. podcasts are about. Um <laughs> my mom is white. She she married my stepdad who is a mix of things, but kind of presents as white. Um and then my dad, they we live separately. My mom and my stepdad had kids together and they're white. So it's like there was just me this mixed person and then in a family full of white people it just always felt like I was an outcast in a way they never made me feel that way but in the back of my mind I'm like I don't even look like my family on any side because I don't even look like my dad I'm mixed so it's like it's been this long process of figuring out who I am and like this is could be its own episode in its yeah. in itself, but just unpacking it learning how to take care of my hair like from anything you can think of it's been a struggle, but it's been a beautiful journey because I mean, it got, I got to know myself a lot better, but it, it was hard. It was definitely hard. And I think it's something that definitely needs to be talked about 
more because there's more and more pe- mixed race right. people coming in. It's it's going to be its own like segment of psychology soon, I think. <laughs> well, and I think it's so important too, like to anybody who's listening who who is white, like like I am. That's not something I ever had to think about. I was never mm-hmm. going through life thinking about that. So as an adolescent, here I am, like concerned about a zillion other things, but I'm not sitting here thinking about like what color is my skin. And people in places like Liana was describing, like this is something that she's trying to deal with in her adolescent brain on top of everything else that's going on in the world. And so I think that's really important to remember in shaping of your identity when we talk about, when we have conversations about equity, about race, about ethnicity, about any of those things. If you are a white person, you've had the privilege of not having to question that. And so it's just a really important thing to think about and to acknowledge in that space is that's not something you're going to understand in that capacity. You could maybe relate in experiencing some other form of oppression or discrimination, but like rationalizing your identity in that way is not something that you've never, it's something you've never had to do. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that. Thanks, Jenny. And like, even not even just white people, like if you come from an, a family where everybody looks just like you, that's right. something that is like, that is a small privilege. Like, obviously it's not compared to other privileges. I know it's like kind of something <laughs> minor and we don't mind not think about it, but that is a big privilege because you get to relate. Um, that relatability is comfort and it's understanding yourself a little bit better, maybe a little bit sooner. Um, I don't know. It, it's just something that I'm still working through because it affects the way I interact with people even to today. Um, how do you think identity has affected you and maybe finding friends or different communities to get involved with? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's just a really interesting concept because of the, like, even this piece, I'm going to go back to what you were saying of being mixed versus being mixed and not necessarily looking like your family. Like, these are two different, they're both your lived experience, but for Mm -hmm. you, they conceptually contribute differently to you. And so, like, the fact is you might relate to somebody else who's not mixed, but maybe they're white in a family full of black people. They're yep. going to have not the same experience as you, but they're going to have that piece is going to, is going to connect in the Overlap. same way. Yeah. And so that's when we talk about intersectionality, right? This identity affects you this way. And this identity affects you this way, but having both of these identities then affects you this way, where we know that trans folks experience significantly more violence than cisgendered people. And we know that people of color experience violence much more often than people who are white. So we know that trans people of color experience violence at a rate different than just being trans or just being a person of color. Right. Yep. And so those intersections of your identities are what kind of cause you to shape that way. So um, for me, some of the identities that were most salient for me, um, I'm a white person and I'm cisgendered. I'm a woman. Um, That one, I didn't really start, that one kind of started shaping me when I kind of started learning about systems of oppression in undergrad, um, my sophomore year of undergrad. I took a class called Non-Oppressive Human Relationships. Um, And it's probably the class that my dad thinks like brainwashed me into being a liberal. But um, (laughs) in that class- I took that class too. (laughs) In that class, I started learning about how these different systems like interrelated and all these things I had never learned about. And I remember there was a question that asked about like, how have you experienced sexism? And I wrote like, oh, I've never experienced sexism because I really didn't think I had until I started learning about how these things like exist on a deeper level. And now I can think back to all these things that happened to me that right unlocks the box <laughs> and, <I'm, laughs> Pandora's oh, oh, box. And, then, and now I see it regularly, right? Like in my, in a, in a previous job that I've held, I was able to identify, oh, this is happening right now because of sexism. Um, versus when I was younger, I was like, oh, 
sexism doesn't even happen to me. And so I think that's why um, in identity now, you know, you do hear a lot of women walking around being like, oh, like, I don't like feminism and like sexism is just made up. And it's because of the fact that if you haven't learned how to recognize it and how to understand it, it's not integrated into your identity that way. Mm-hmm. So it for all me, comes back to education. Yeah. yeah. Which is really, really unfortunate because we know education isn't accessible. So you like I had to go into a shit ton of debt to be able to afford the education that I now have. And it's great because it helps me navigate the world better. But I also like, am I ever going to pay it off in my lifetime? Probably not. To answer your original question, though, I think probably one of the first things I started identifying with, which is pretty common of white women, is their womanhood, um, cisgendered white women for that matter. Um, So being a woman, that's kind of what I started realizing in undergrad. And then um, that kind of eventually started identifying, realizing that I'm like really progressive and really liberal and my family is not. So that started being a really large part of my identity Mm -hmm. um, was feeling like I didn't fit in that way. Um, You know, and then as I've gotten older, like those are probably the two like systematic ones that I think about. But then on a smaller level, like a cheer being a cheerleader was a pretty large part of my identity. And uh, this actually very interesting story for anybody listening. Liana and I had a conversation when I decided I wanted to stop cheering. Um, And it was actually super chaotic. It was near the end of my like junior, senior year. And I had been feeling really stressed. I knew it was going to be my last year of cheerleading. And I didn't know how to tell Liana because I like didn't want to disappoint her. And I like didn't, you know, she, I knew she still had time left. And So I had been talking with our graduate assistant about it, just like how I was nervous, but I wanted to make it through the season and I'd let her know. And so I had been texting with her and Liana saw that I was texting with her and she's like, oh, I like I saw you were texting with her. Like, what's going on? And so I decided to tell Liana before the season actually ended. And she was like, she stared at me like a deer in the headlights and was like, like, what? Like, what? You're not cheering? And and I was just like, it was a lot of emotions for me because I had been processing it for months, right? Because being a cheerleader was such a large part of my identity. Mm-hmm. And which is really interesting because when I first started cheerleading, when I decided to join the cheerleading team, I tried out, I made it. And I told people at school that I was going to be a cheerleader. They were like, you, a cheerleader? Like what? Like, can you oh imagine my- that? That is crazy. And, and by the time I finished cheerleading, everyone was like, if you looked up cheerleader in a dictionary, like Jenny's picture would be there. Facts. Yeah. (laughs) When I told you that I wasn't going to cheer anymore, you were like, you looked like a deer in the headlights. And I felt bad because I'd been planning to tell you later. But it took you a long time to like sit with that because that was part of your, like the identity you saw me as, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was an identity. And when I lost that, like March of 2016, man, I was going through, that's when I decided to stop cheering. That's when I ended my really, really toxic relationship. Um, and like those two big, really, really large pieces of my life ended at the same time and I didn't know what to do. So I, I went to Scotland. Um, <laughs> that's what I did, but you traveled, Hell yeah. I traveled and that's actually where I started bachata dancing. That's where I started pole dancing. And then those things have carried with me. And now they're very, very large parts of my identity is I, you ask me like, you know, who are you? I'm like, Oh, I pole dance. I bachata dance. Um, I work at a nonprofit. Like those are things that now kind of shape my identity. That piece of cheer, that one I also would like to touch upon because I don't know why you started cheer, but I'm going to come clean. <laughs> I started cheer because I wanted to be the hot girl at school. <laughs> like that, the cheerleaders were those it girls. Little did I know, not at Maple Grove. <laughs> not at our school. <laughs> not at our school. Like when I first started cheer, I was an all-star. So then when I went to school, I was moving to a new school 
my sophomore year of high school, I was terrified. I was like, okay, I'm already in cheer anyways. Like this will give me an in. I'll have a friend group. Okay. Not at Maple Grove. Still met the best people of my life, but that's not what I envisioned. Um, but no, when I really started, I started out in gymnastics and gymnastics was too hard for me. I'm not going to lie. I'm lazy at heart. So that was way too hard. Um, the way they condition, not for me. That's part of my identity. Lazy. <laughs> Um, and, but I was like, but I love pieces of gymnastics. Like I love the tumbling aspect. I just, I like, you know, the individual piece, but also the team piece. Next best thing was cheerleading. Also like everyone sees, has seen it in the movies. They glamorize cheerleading. And I was like, that's the life I want. So that's really why I got into cheer. Like, but why I stayed was so many more, re- like it taught me discipline. It taught me what it was to be a good teammate and, um, put other people before yourself and work hard for a common goal. Cheerleading really did shape my life. That sounds insane, but for the girls who get it, get it. And for the girls who don't, <laughs> don't. Okay. I want to bounce off that too. Um, Do it, I, please. I joined cheerleading because I liked the outfits. I'm dead See? serious. <laughs> Nobody joins um, for cheer. <laughs> I, well, I was sitting, I remember sitting in the lunchroom in eighth grade and the cheerleaders were walking around the gym. And they were handing out flyers for tryouts. And I took one. And I was sitting with a bunch of people. And they all looked at me like, what? Like, you? And I was like, well, it looks like fun. And the thing is, if you look back at me as a child, I used to, like, grab neighbor kids and, like, force them into dance choreographies in my backyard. Like, I would, like, make choreos to, like, songs and counts. Like, I was destined to be a dancer, competitor, cheerleader in some capacity because I've been doing it. Like, you can – I used to draw – like, my mom has a book of, like, all my artwork from when I was a kid. And I would draw, like – cheerleaders all the time I would watch <laughs> my parents are watching sports all the time so I would watch the cheerleaders doing the right. cool things with the pretty dresses and I was like I want to do that and so that's why I joined cheerleading and then I got there and like I could be really excited and that wasn't seen as annoying Ooh, and yeah, that was something yep. I struggled with because I was always had a lot of energy and people would always call me annoying and I was really I still am really sensitive to that word Um, because I'm loud and I talk a lot. And so being in cheerleading was like, oh, well, that's what you're supposed to do. So it like finally felt like, oh, this thing that I identify myself as actually fits in this space. This is an acceptable space for it. And so then it turned out to be this really good thing. And so that's like why I stuck with it. Right. And then we had so many coaches who changed. And like, I also like you really enjoyed like the athleticism of it. And I really liked this combination of doing something that's physically difficult and athletic, but also looking nice while you do it because aesthetics Mm -hmm. have always been so important to me. And that's like, that's how pole fit into my life and still does now. Because when I stopped cheerleading, when I started doing pole, I was like, wow, this is really hard. Like I remember the day after my first pole class, like my muscles in my back, like I was like, this exists. Like I didn't even know I had muscles there. But again, while you're doing pole, you you want to look a specific way. You're striving for a specific aesthetic, whether that's, mm-hmm. you know, sexy or like dramatic or sad, whatever you're doing. Like it's again, the performance aspect matches the athleticism. And so that's why that continuation was really natural for me. But in the same way that cheerleading really shaped me into the person I was because it gave me a space and an outlet for things that I already thought about myself. My cheer coaches played a huge role on who I am at least in my young life especially in high school like they had a huge influence over me and how like I think my identity shaped at that age um my my cheer coaches were the best I still talk to them I had really great relationships with them and they 
they saw things in me that I didn't see and they told me that and they reminded me. And I think that helped, you know, create this identity of somebody who is confident and independent and can go out and do these things. And if maybe I didn't hear those words, maybe I would have heard it from a different person or in a different way and still would have gotten to the same result. But I know some of those conversations I can still remember to this day that turned a switch on my head that I could be a leader. And I think from there, like, it just it was a snowball effect and I constantly like and it came natural to me because the way I lead is by making connections and then I started growing on that too and being like oh I'm an empathetic person Um, I like to listen I like to care I like to be there for my friends and that became a huge part of my identity too right and I think you bring up a really interesting topic not even just of coaches but just of the influence that other people um, Mm. can have on the way that you shape your identity because there are things that Like you can just think about for yourself, but then if someone kind of bestows something on you, you start to integrate it into how you think about yourself, right? So it's like how your coach told you to think about yourself made you think about it differently, right? Um, The story that you and I talk about all the time. um, Yeah, tell it. There was was a time that Liana and I um, were getting ready to go up to St. Cloud for college. And I was, we went up there a week early because I was moving in or something like that. And I was helping her move. So we packed all her stuff in my car or whatever. And we're driving and my fingernail polish was black. And to me, I was like, oh, like this isn't a big deal because I like used to paint my nails black in junior high all the time. Like that, that was part of, I just saw myself that way. And when Leona got in the car, she made a comment about my nail polish. She's like, oh, black nails. And I was like, what? And, you're, and I don't even remember what you said after the what, because I was so like, I was so caught off guard that you were like black nails. And I was like, what? And it just like made me question how other people see me and like, how I saw myself and I was like, oh, well, this is a huge part of me, but other people don't see me that way. And so like I had bought all this stuff for my bathroom and I returned it all and I got, went and bought all, like I got it all from like Bed Bed, Bath & Beyond or something. And it was like a traveler's theme. Like I had like a little safari hat and like a world map shower and like made it travel-y theme because I was like, oh, I'm a traveler. And I was like, no, like I don't like this, isn't it? And I took it all back and I bought all of this like I don't know. It reminds me of my aunt's house, but like, <laughs> like crimsons and maroons and like metallic golds and just kind of like, like, I don't know, classier, maybe less tacky because I was like, oh, this is me, not like traveler mm-hmm. tacky stuff. And all of that stemmed from like you making a comment about my nail polish, which was like, obviously you didn't intend to, to do anything. No, because I felt so terrible. <laughs> I know. I yeah, continue. Sorry. Those of you listening, it was like years after that happened before she and I actually had a conversation that this happened. Um, really, I was in the car, made the comment, and I, I remember it because I remember I said something stupid after too. I was like, oh, I just think of you as girly girly. Like, I didn't think you'd wear black nail polish because in my head, like now everybody in everyone always right. wear black nail polish. But in my head, I was like, Jenny's bubbly, like wears pink. Like, that's what I'm thinking. And then I, I was like, black nail polish. Oh, okay. That's different. And then little did I know it sent her in her core to life crisis and I felt so bad you have no idea because I'm like you have no idea the small comments you can make can have such a huge impact on somebody like you and 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 how they see themselves a little comment as oh black nail polish like you know so and it could have been time place you know like you were at a certain period in your life emotions but right yeah so the the influence that people have in that way um Oh, I had something else I was going to think about on that comment, but um, yeah, just the way that different people speak to you. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Um, I had a student in a class once and she said to me like, 
Miss Jenny, thank you so much. You're so patient. Um, and I had never really thought of myself as being a patient person. It was never something that I self-ascribed to. Um, and, but she pointed it out to me of like, oh, you're so, pa- you're so patient with me and with all of us. And after she said that, like I started hearing it from more people mm-hmm. and I started kind of reflecting on who I am. And I think my patience is something that makes me good at teaching because I hear that like, oh, it's not making sense. So I just slow down and I just wait for like giving the person the space or the time or whatever it is they need to, to process it. And so now I think of myself as a patient person, but I used to never like think of that because it was something someone else kind of ascribed to me. Next thought I was thinking about is how the idea of your family, whatever that looked like growing up, how that shapes your identity. For me, my mom had me at 16 and your family is pretty much your whole life. When you grow up, you know, like that's, that's all you see. And I remember like my mom being a teen mom. And when I was younger, like I didn't, she was my mom. She gave me everything I needed and more. So I never understood really why it was a big deal but I did notice like she had real conversations with me like I don't want this for you um and other people may not understand it like she'd be like some of the other moms look at me weird because of it and I'm like why in my mind like my mom is like the best mom in the world seeing my mom super independent and seeing that she can do it herself that had played a huge role in who I was as well so just a lot of just my upbringing had a huge impact on my personality and identity yeah I mean I guess for me one of the things was my parents have a really good marriage um Mm. so I watched that and I never really like if I was at other people's houses and their parents would fight like I would immediately like oh their parents are getting divorced um because like that didn't happen in my house like my parents kiss each other in the morning kiss each other before they when they get home from work like they have they're joking with each other all the time. So like my parents are the perfect fit for each other. So that was something that kind of just like, it didn't really influence my identity per se, but it influenced how I thought about like relationships, I guess. And then as I got older, like I just fought, I argued with my parents a lot, specifically with my dad a lot when I was a teenager. Cause I just, we had very different views on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where, my identity relating to my family came from was like, okay, I ha- I come from like parents who love each other. My dad and I like disagree on a lot of stuff. And my brother and I are like best friends. I've always described him as like my twin born just a couple years after me. Cause I can give like two words into a sentence and he'll know exactly what I'm referencing. <laughs> like we have like twin telepathy, but without being twins. And we never really went through a phase where we're like we fought or hated each other. People were like, Oh, we used to like fight when we were kids, but now we're best friends. Like, <laughs> No, him and I just used to hang out, play video games all the time. Like sometimes, oh, that's cool. like fifteen or sixteen, he got a little snobby when his friends were over. But like yeah. other than that, um, so that and then I think the other thing is just being described as talkative is something that got put on me, which is <laughs> kind of bold coming from my family because everyone in my family is really <laughs> talkative. Um, <laughs> but I remember like being at a Christmas once. Um, with my dad's side of the family and they had made somebody like I was like you know what I'm not gonna talk today because I just didn't want to deal with it like didn't want to be in that space and I said like one thing and like after that like oh you're always like they they made some comment about how I talk so much and I think this is a piece of identity as well is like I was like I literally haven't said a whole word the entire time we've been here and you're still describing me as talkative and so this piece about how people see your identity as a specific thing, especially our families are really, really um, at fault for this. And it's hard because like they've seen us our whole life, but putting your identity on you and then that's it. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. So, oh, I know you as an outgoing, loud, talkative person. 
And so that's who you are. And if you see that person, like, or this will happen at high school reunions too, and you go back and you mm-hmm. see that person for the first time in five, 10 years, um, you remember them as they were. And it's really hard for those identities to shift or change because of the way that we think about people. Like our brains need shortcuts. Our brains need to process the information. So they're like, oh, Jenny, like she was really loud in high school. And you know what? I'm still really loud now. But there's a lot of parts about who I am and how I think and how I process and how I interact that are different than I was 10 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's another important piece of how identity like shapes us and like the world that we live in. When you moved out of your family dynamic into college, that was a huge test of my identity and who I wanted to be in college because I had all this freedom, but there was still structure in place. So I found uh, a group that I felt fit my identity best which happened to be cheerleading again um and I kind of rode that identity throughout college and then after college once you're out of that structure and you're out of that community I went through a huge identity crisis again it's not the word I would context to think about yourself right Mm -hmm. because we we teach we teach children you know you go to school like you get socialized Mm -hmm. this is how the day works And so then when you get out of any sort of structured education and you can literally do whatever you want, Mm -hmm. um, that's like we've set up these systems, right, where you have to earn, like if you want to live, you need money. So you have to find a way to earn the money. Um, But that's like really the basis. You can do whatever the heck else you want with the rest of your time, with your energy. And so uh, like it is a huge thing that people – I also was really depressed right after I graduated undergrad. I don't think you're alone in that. because you have to figure out what parts of you are like, you know, you're like, who am I outside of the structures and the systems that I've existed in and what what matters to me? And, you know, that's what a lot of people unfortunately do. I mean, maybe not unfortunately, but it depends on the person, but then cling to their job. They go mm-hmm. to what is my what is my industry? What do I work in? And that's my identity. And, and you know, for hard. some people, for some people it that works, right? Like let's say you're a chef and like you go to your restaurant, you work all the time, you're like, Oh, I love cooking, you come home, you're looking for recipes, and like most of your friends are chefs, and you go out with your friends who are chefs and talk about food. Like that's your whole identity is your industry, right? There's someone else, like maybe you work like an IT job and because you're good at it, but you don't really care, and your whole life is about dancing. And you go out and you go like dancing and you use all the money you make from your like high paying job to just book tickets to like travel and dance ever, all the time. Like those are both valid ways of living life. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we teach people about that. We teach people that like, you know, you, who are you? And that's like why job shaming comes up as a thing because mm-hmm. we start thinking about like, oh, well, if this is your job, like that's your identity. And like it, there's so many other layers to that. But I think that that's, that's part of it is like, we aren't given a formula for how to think about ourselves outside of a formal educational setting. So we yes, what that is. That's and exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Cause in school you have a syllabus telling you exactly how you can succeed and do well in this class, in this setting um, at school in general. I've been someone who's been naturally good at school. I could have been better if I applied myself more, but I knew how I ranked against my peers. I knew, I knew exactly how I did. Once you graduate, you don't know. The only thing you can think of, like you said, is your you people throw themselves into your career. You go to school, then you go you get a career. Who's going to have the best career? Who's going to be making the most money? I was right. not in my career. I didn't know what I wanted to do after college. Like I had an idea, then it wasn't right, and I felt like I was already committed. So I just spent sixty thousand dollars on this education. I better find something closely related to this major. And 
I just nothing felt right. And I could tell. And I think that's why I also was going through this spiral of who am I? Because I could tell what I was in. I liked it. I was good at it. I didn't want to do it. And I didn't admit that to myself. And I wasn't making money. I was making very minimal money. You know what job I was working. I was not making anything. I had, I was working three jobs and I still like felt like I was not even close to my peers. And I felt like shit. And it was like, it was so hard because I'm used to being someone like that's good that people can look up to and go to. And I was like, I'm a nobody right now. That's how I felt. I looking back. I don't feel that way. And I, yeah. if anyone would come to me in that position, I wouldn't think there are nobody, but that's how I felt because I didn't know right. who I was. I had and no I idea. So strong. When you're like, who am I in this space? And right now, like it can shift the entire way that you approach everything. Like I remember when I finished my master's degree, I applied for 53 jobs and I got two interviews um, and it was just so disheartening. And I, um, one of the jobs was in Provo, Utah, and I was not about to move there. And so I took the other one, which was an internship in D.C., which was supposed to turn into a full-time position. And I I packed up all my stuff. I bought a car. I moved out to D.C. And three weeks after getting there, I found out the office was closing and I was going to lose my job. Mm-hmm. So I started desperately applying for other jobs, trying to figure it out. Um, and I had gotten a job lined up for me from somebody out there at another research firm. And I went on six interviews for them, which was ridiculous. Ooh. And every single further interview, I realized I didn't want the job because that wasn't like I have the skills to do research and analysis and I love it. But the way that like this specific job, how it was going to be applied, like that didn't fit with who I was. And so I remember riding the metro back from D.C. to like the suburb that I lived in and just bawling because I was like, I just spent all of this extra money to get a master's degree and I don't even want to work in that field. And then the reality is like. I'm so thankful for my master's degree because more than anything, it helped me figure out how to just like critically think and process information. And I do still love data and statistics and using it, but I don't, I don't really utilize that in my current, in my current role. But now I feel much more like myself than I did trying to interview for that, that research job in DC. So it is identity crises are hard from any, whether they're systematic, whether they're um, on your personal level, like the way that they influence how you interact in the world, like, that's why that's why we talk well I guess we don't talk about it as much but that's why we should talk about it as mm-hmm. much is because the way that you think about yourself influences how you then do everything you do yeah well we talked about a lot we talked about different ways identity is affected um and influenced on like a personal and a societal level which is really interesting it's these can each be their own topics that I feel like we can always go deeper into um, in future episodes for people who may be going through something where they're trying to figure out who they are and or where they want to go next. um, Do you have any advice for people that are in those situations right now? Oh, that's a really big question. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're questioning pieces of your identity, um, well, there's a lot of fun little exercises and like warm up games. I know, I'm the outlier here. A lot of people hate little icebreaker games that you have to do at the beginning of like meetings and like (laughs) classes and stuff. But these are actually can be really helpful in that space to like find like Google icebreaker activities because they usually they incorporate you having to reflect on yourself Um, and you can start thinking about what comes up. Um, That's more of like a formula for it. But something at least for myself that I've done. Number one, make a list of the things that make you happy Two, make a list of things you do every day. Three, compare the lists and four, adjust accordingly. Uh, hmm, so how that's to make, simple. How to slowly make every day better. I think I saved it from Tumblr 
way back in the day. Um, but that's what I think about is I think about the things that I like that I want. Um, unsurprisingly, I have a spreadsheet of just things that I want to <laughs> do in life and I'll look at the spreadsheet and I have them broken down into like big things and small things. And I'm like, what makes me feel good? How do I feel good? How do I feel? When do I feel relaxed, excited? And how can I fit more of those things into my life? And that's what I start doing. So it, that might come from a job, you know, that might come from finding the perfect career, or it might come from finding a hobby or a community of people that you just didn't know you were missing, right? So it doesn't have to be in your job. I think that's one thing I want people to take away is it can Please. be in your job. It yeah. does not have to be. Um, so take a chance. People don't really, you talked about this in other episodes, but monetizing hobbies, um, mm-hmm. you don't have to monetize your hobbies. You can, today I went to a drumming class, not because I'm going to start a drumming group, not because I'm going to like perform just cause I was like, Oh, I feel like drumming. So I went to a drum class. That's real. Um, just start thinking about things that interest you, things that you like. And I think going through that, that process, helps give you that openness to start thinking about what that means in your life, how to make it who you want to be. Yeah, I really like that. And um, a piece that I also want to add is making sure you're surrounding yourself with people who allow you to explore your identity. People should never be in your circle if you cannot be your true self, whoever that is that day. Um, For me, I have always felt like I'm a people pleaser because I want people to like me. That That's part of my identity. I Being liked was super important to me up until a few months ago. I still care about it a little bit. A lot of that was me changing who I was around certain people so I would be accepted. Well, now I'm feeling more free to just be myself and I have great people in my corner that have always supported me no matter what. Like my family, I know I can go to them with anything and they're going to accept it. They may not understand it, but they're going to, you know, accept it. And I'm going to feel safe to explore whatever that is. Um, like this podcasting thing, never in a million years growing up, but I, did I think, Oh yeah, I'm going to be a podcaster. But then when I told my family that I wanted to get into this content creating field, they did nothing but support me. And like, that's right. super important because if you have someone who is like, oh, okay, or good luck with that, that's going to feel shitty and you're not going to want to do it. Or you may feel negatively about it or feel afraid that that's going to be everyone's reaction. So keep people in your corner that are supportive. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. You always bring a really good and fresh perspective. Thanks for having me, Liana. All right, y'all. It is that dreaded time. It is time that we part ways and you wait a whole week to hear another episode. You don't got to go home, but you got to get the H-E double hockey sticks out of here. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in this week, y'all. I really appreciate you. Please make sure you are either liking, subscribing, sharing if you a real one, this podcast so we can continue to grow. And if you're not already and you want to, you can follow me on Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Liana Hauser. And if you don't know how to spell it, it is L-E-A-U-N-A-H-A-U-S-E-R. Alrighty, y'all. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next Sunday for another episode of the Butterfly Effect Podcast. Bye!